Okay, well, you guys are guinea pigs this morning. I'm going to try something that goes against my very nature. I'm going to preach with my notes on my iPad. Now, you would think that someone involved in the electronic broadcast industry would be at home with electronics, but I have the touch, and it's not good. So bear with me this morning. We're going to depend on the Holy Spirit to do this despite the iPad. Anyway, I am very excited to get to be with you this morning. And um, I I love this message. Uh, Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Uh, He's right. It's three messages. In fact, it's three messages that you've already preached. So I'm just going to kind of review some things. Well, maybe not. Because Jesus says some things that are in a different context, and the impact is something a little bit different from some of his other messages. In fact, I was saying earlier that when I first uh, talked to Craig about doing this message, it was like, yeah, that'd be a cool message. I I would love to preach that message. And then I got to digging into it, and I started getting overwhelmed. And, And then... The last month or so has been overwhelming in and of itself. And I have to tell you, God does an amazing job of preparing me for delivering a message. And this time, and usually it's, well, this time, it was overwhelmed. Just overwhelmed with life, with the mission, with some of the things that were going on, with things that were supposed to happen with things that are happening, there was just a lot of stuff hitting me. Well, the interesting part about that is that's where the disciples were and where Jesus was at when Jesus spoke these words. It was um, a culmination. And, And it was the coming together of everything. And it was, it was time to let the cat out of the bag, so to speak. And that's what Jesus does here. But now, you have to understand that the disciples were overwhelmed. Because as Jesus, the end of his ministry started coming, Jesus started speaking more and more about dying and about, about things going an entirely different direction than the disciples were hoping for. They were hoping for an earthly kingdom and Jesus to be crowned king, and they were going to get a serve in his entourage. They never were quite getting the total overall picture that what Jesus was talking about was a kingdom that, yes, in some ways has an earthly component, but is spiritual in nature. And, and they weren't quite grasping all of that. And then at the Last Supper, it all came unraveled. Let's start with a word of prayer. Father, we love you so very much. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the men that he chose. We thank you for those men that you gave to him to disciple and to minister to, to change And those men that were used by your spirit to do incredible things um, in our world because of the power of Jesus. Father, we thank you for these words of Jesus and, and we thank you for 
how big they are. And Lord, I am not worthy of how big these words are, of what is going on here. And so this morning as we come together, I ask two things. One, I ask that help me not to misstep. Help me to speak what you want spoken. And two, help everyone here to hear with ears prepared by your spirit to take to heart what Jesus is trying to communicate here. God, that's what we want out of the message this morning. We want to hear your word. So that's what we ask for. And we do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so here's where the disciples are at. Jesus has just gotten done talking about the fact that Judas is going to betray him and, and then telling Judas, go do it. And Judas gets up and leaves. So the disciples are going, what? What? What's going on here? Because Judas was kind of the treasurer of the group. And, you know, he was sort of important. He was on the, the gang. And it's like, what's going on? What's going on? And then Jesus starts talking about leaving without him. And it's like, well, we've been with you for three years. You know, what? What? Where are you going? And then he starts talking about Peter's denial. And the fact that Peter is going to deny him. Well, there's a sermon in itself about Peter's denial. In fact, I just got done editing it, so I know there is one. <laughs> um, but there is Peter's denial. All of this is going on at the Last Supper, and Jesus is talking about all these things, and, and the disciples are, I mean, they're, you know, it's almost panic time for them. Because nothing is as they thought it was going to be. I mean, Jesus had just had the triumphal entry. I mean, it's like, it's time for the kingdom. It's time for the, the big thing to happen. But the big thing that Jesus was talking about was not lining up with their expectations. And so you've got these guys around this table and they're like, ah. uh, I don't know whether most of any of you have, you know, those of you who have been to college, you know that feeling uh, right at the beginning of your freshman year, that first few days when all of the assignments come rolling in. I guess they still do that. And, and uh, best way to explain it is from one of my favorite movies, Peter Rabbit. My favorite character in the movie is the deer. Then his favorite line in the whole movie is headlights. In fact, I've known a few deer that way. Um, but headlights, you know, overwhelmingness. That's where the disciples were at. You know, kind of the deer in the headlights type thing. And, and they, and, and Jesus saw this. I mean, he, he knew where the conversation needed to go, but he also saw where the disciples were at, the old deer in the headlights look. And so, um, so Jesus starts off in the 14th chapter of the book of John with these words, don't let your hearts be troubled. Okay, so Jesus is, first of all, he wants to lay a groundwork. And all of this 14th chapter is about uh, two or three things. One, it is, first of all, is to give comfort to the disciples. Secondly, he's going to reveal the mystery. Now, you're saying, what? What mystery? Uh, well, as we get started, let's lay a little background here, because this mystery is that which is talked about in Ephesians, the first chapter. And that mystery is, 
is what God was doing from even before the creation of the world, God had a plan. He knew before he started creating stuff that we were going to rebel in the Garden of Eden. And more than that, that all the kids of Adam and Eve were going to be rebellious from the get-go. And that all down through it, we were going to wander away from where God wanted us to be. We were going to rebel from him. And yet, God knowing that, he knew he was going to have to send Jesus to die on the cross. He knew that redemption and grace were part of what he was going to do. And knowing that, and knowing that cost to him, he did it anyway. I don't know about you, but that to me is the most humbling passage in the entire Bible. It just cuts me to the heart every time I read it. That knowing what it would cost him, God did what he did in starting off creation. And that, that whole thing, that, that whole scenario of creation and the history of the world up to this point where Jesus is talking to his disciples, that's the mystery why a mystery? Well, God kept trying to kind of give hints, but okay, now we're going to set the word of God aside for a second. I'm going to give you a little opinion, all right? This is from the book of Stanley uh, 1.1, okay? Satan doesn't know everything. Now that's scriptural. We know that. Satan doesn't know everything. He cannot read our minds, Okay, He can toss things our way, hoping we'll think about them, and knowing our nature, we usually do. But he tosses things our way. He knows our nature. He knows what he can expect us to do given certain circumstances. But he does not know our thoughts. Only God knows our thoughts. And so... In, in the big scheme of things, Satan doesn't know everything, but he's smart. He can figure stuff out. And so God's mystery is this, that he doesn't lay things all out in black and white for the enemy to know his battle plans. He gives us pieces at a time so that we can see when things happen. Yeah, God said this was going to happen. But at the same time, Satan can't figure out what's coming next because Satan is going to lose the battle. Satan has lost the battle. Okay, now here's the Stanley part. When, when you're praying and you're talking to people, especially about spiritual plans and things, you don't have to blab everything you know. Now, here's the reason why. There are ears everywhere. And Satan is one of them. There are things that maybe just maybe are best left in your personal prayers with God that Satan isn't allowed to be a part of. You understand what I'm saying? That we don't need to tell the evil one everything. Because I tell you what, the plans I announce are the plans that end up getting thwarted so many times because the evil one gets wind of what is coming down the pike. Anyway, that's beside the point, but that's what's going on. Jesus is comforting his disciples. He's getting ready to comfort them. He's getting ready to reveal the mystery of all time, and he's going to give them a promise. So he starts out, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust in me. And then the passage that we have in uh, John 14 is 
And uh, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. And you, you know the way to the place where I am going. Okay, so Jesus is kind of trying to kind of soften things and comfort the disciples. And Thomas pipes up and he says, Lord, uh, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And that's where Jesus says these words. I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, this is loaded. I mean, this is a two-hour sermon in one sentence. I'll try not to make it two hours, really. But what Jesus is saying here is he is, he is saying so many things that are so deep. I, I once read where the Hebrew language is a kind of a neat language in that it's, it's pictorial and it is emotional. And, and besides that, it's a regular language. And so there are many layers to the Hebrew language, many different things being communicated all at once. And I think that's exactly what Jesus is doing right here. So let's, let's talk about this a little bit. First of all, he says, I am. Now, you know that verse. That's from Exodus 3.14, where we know that Jesus is the same as God because that is God's line. Throughout the Bible, God refers to himself as I am. He told Moses in Exodus 3.14, you tell Pharaoh, I am, sent you. And you tell the Israelites that their God, I am, has sent you. I am. That's, that's pretty well sums it all up, doesn't it? That, that's saying everything is me. I am. And because it is God's own reference for himself, Jesus uses it here to let the disciples know that he and the Father are one. Now, he's going to discourse on this a little bit later on. But he says, I am. And he introduces these three very important labels of himself as I am, meaning the tie with God. First of all, he says, I am. And, and the I am gives us the fact that Jesus is the authority, and we are to submit to him. That he's, he's equating himself with God, and he is letting us know that he has the authority, he is the authority, and we are to submit to him. And we're, we're going to kind of circle back to that here in just a minute. Secondly, Jesus says, he says, the way, I am the way. Well, what is he talking about there? Well, Thomas couldn't get it figured out either. Because Jesus said, I am the way. And Thomas says, he's, I can picture him scratching his head and going, what are you talking about? Because what Thomas wanted was he wanted a roadmap of events. What's going to happen next and next and next. And what Jesus gave him is, I am the doorway. I am the author. I am the access. I am the enablement. 
through me, he's saying, I am the way to everything that I have been trying to teach you. I am the way. In fact, uh, early church used to refer to that as they worshiped the way. That is Jesus. Jesus is the door, the gate to salvation. He is the image of God. He is the way to God the Father. And I I think very importantly for us, as we're trying to go through our walk in life, is Jesus is forgiveness and grace. This is the part that that I kind of, it's kind of cool that this is what he says first, because this is the first step into becoming the people that God wants us to be. And that is to accept Jesus grace and accept his salvation that he offers for us to give up of ourselves and to acknowledge him as I am. And acknowledge him as the one who is the author of our salvation. He is the way. Well, secondly, he also says, I am the truth. Well, that one, boy, I tell you, that was the hard one. Trying to dig through that. What is truth? Now, I don't know about you, but I've been through, uh, there's a, there was a, a small group study out a few years ago called the Truth Project really enjoyed that. And I went back to my notes on that and I began to see how big the truth project is. And it's interesting that the truth project is all about, uh, about everything. And as I, as I began to look at that, I started studying more and more truth and trying to figure out what Jesus is saying here is, is Jesus is really saying what Paul writes in first in Ephesians 1 when he talks about the fact that Jesus was part of creation and was God's plan from before creation and that Jesus has been present through all of it even up until this moment where he's talking to the disciples. Jesus is the epitome of truth. He is the culmination of God's original plan. He is the center of everything. Um, It says uh, says in the beginning, in John 1, 1 through 5, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing has been made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And then in Ephesians 1, it says he chose us before him in the, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding and made known to us the mystery of his his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. And that's where we're approaching with the, uh, with the disciples. Jesus is the center of everything. 
by the grace of God the Father. Him being truth means that everything functions because of him. this, This is difficult to explain, let me tell you. Because there is so much going into this. But I guess one little piece that I can give you is... I have a neighbor across the road, frustrates the living daylights out of me. Because God keeps trying to show that man that Jesus is Lord. And he just will not accept it. His wife, Cindy's having a lot better luck. She's being God's emissary to her, and she seems to be really willing to listen. But he, he's got this line of, yeah, I believe there's a God. And, and uh, yeah, well, we're probably supposed to follow after him. But then, when the Trail Life kids come over, the alternative to the Boy Scouts, then he starts talking about how the earth was formed over millions of years. Now, I used to tolerate that a lot better before I read this passage. But do you understand that by saying things evolved, not only are we saying God did not create things, we are saying Jesus was not a part of it. And we are taking away the authority and the power of Jesus Christ by trying to come up with a man-made solution for how things were made. And, you know, ever since I've been working on this message, I've been getting madder and madder. And my next line of prayer is going to be, Lord, help me to have grace for my neighbor. Because it's like now when somebody starts talking about evolution, they are not telling the truth. That's the simple part. Because Jesus is the truth. And Jesus was a part of creation. That's how things are so centered. And Jesus was a part of carrying out the plan of God from the very beginning up until right here where the apostles are being confronted by all of this. And the thing about it is is that Satan hadn't figured all of it out. He got part of it because he kept picking up little pieces along the way. You can see that in the temptation of Jesus. Read through it with that perspective. He didn't quite have it all figured out, but what he had figured out, he was trying to get to tempt Jesus with. So Satan's working at this, and and Jesus is saying, I I am the truth. And he says it, uh, and I am the truth. I am also the truth is another way to put it. But... I guess the way to say it is this. Jesus is the center of what is. He is the center of truth. He is the center of everything. He is a part of our Heavenly Father that holds all things together. You see what I'm saying? Man, these are big words. This is, this is big stuff. This is coming from Jesus who is finally revealing all that there is about him. And you know what? The very fact that Jesus says, I am the, I am, he says, I am the way, and I am the truth ought to bring us to our knees at that very point. If we don't know the Lord, we need to know the Lord because we need to ask for his grace and to believe in him. And to give ourselves to him as Lord. And I know many of us as Christians have believed, but we've never quite given him submission. Because that's hard to submit. And to let him be the truth, the answer, 
the direction, the authority in our lives and let him really have control. That's what he's saying he deserves as he comes before the disciples now. Jesus is the sender of what is. And the next time we try to make a decision about what we're going to do with our time, whether it's going to be with church or going to be with sports activities, maybe we need to consider who is Lord. And, and, and maybe there's a time when we try to decide the next word out of our mouth, if it's going to be using the Lord's name in vain. Is that letting God be God and Jesus be Lord? You see, you see all that's wrapped up into this? And when we make our plans of where to go or where to see, the book of James says, we should always say, if God is willing, we will go here or there and do this or that. That's letting God be Lord and letting Jesus be Lord. Okay, so then there is this fourth one. And, and this one is the one, I guess you would say, his statement of hope. So he says, I am the way. He's the only way. I am truth, but he is also life. This is our hope. And, and that's what this was meant to be. You see what he was trying to do with the apostles, the disciples here, is he's trying to let them know that he is in control. He's already said, I laid, no one takes my life, I lay it down. Jesus is in control because he and the Father are one. He says, I am also the life. Um, he's talking about physical life. He's talking about spiritual life. He's talking about eternal life. Jesus is life. The Bible tells us in the book of creation, or in the book of Genesis, that he was a part of creation. And as a part of creation, all life came from him. And then he demonstrated just a short time before he says these words that he's in control of life because he went to the dead, stinking Lazarus in the tomb and said, Lazarus, come out. You know, it's kind of interesting, too. I always like the part about that, too, because it, it says he said it in a loud voice. I can relate to that. But I'm, you know, I'm thinking Jesus was very mild-mannered and, and most of the time... You know, he was loud when he needed to be, but he was in control. But when he talked to Lazarus, he said with a loud voice, which with me speaks of authority. So it was not a voice that said, uh, God, could you raise Lazarus from the dead for me? Jesus is life. And he said in no uncertain terms, Lazarus, come forth. That's probably King James. I don't know what he, how it turned out in the NIV, but Lazarus, get out of there. Come out here. Whatever he said, it was with authority. You see what I'm saying? Lazarus, I am life. I am physical life. I am spiritual life. The book of John, the first chapter, the fourth verse, talks about Jesus is alive. John 10, 10, Galatians 2, 20, 1 Corinthians 15, 22, 1 John 5, 11, all of them talk about Jesus is life and the author of life. I guess the best way to sum it up is Jesus is the summation of life. And everything, everything about life 
is found in Jesus because of who he is and the pursuit of what is life. Now, I hope that from my enthusiasm, you're, you're getting a sub-point here. And, and that sub-point is this. We as Christians, Peter says, are to have hope, 1 Peter 3.15. And we're supposed to always have an answer for that hope. That hope comes out of the fact that we have life through Jesus our Lord, who, after he got done with this discourse, gave himself up for us, but on the third day, like we celebrated last week, came walking out of the grave. Death could not hold him. I don't know, it's kind of what it's, I don't know whether it's optimistic or pessimistic, but I always find it interesting that there was a difference between, you know, there's several people throughout the Bible that were raised from the dead. I think you made a point of this. There were several people that were raised from the dead, but only one of them didn't die again. You know, that's, that, that would be a bummer, wouldn't it? <laughs> After you've experienced death, you mean I got to do this again? I don't know about you, but that, that part about dying, that part, that's the part I could skip over. Let's just go to heaven and be done with it. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But Jesus is the one that never suffered death again. He came back to life, and he lives forever. He is life. Jesus says, I am the truth, the, the way, the truth, the life. And then he said this, that kind of sums a lot of it up. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. There is a discourse between him and Philip and Thomas about, well, just show us the Father. And Jesus said, you've seen me. You've seen the Father. Now, when I first started down this road, I thought, okay, he's, I tend to get kind of exasperated and frustrated. And if you don't believe me, just ask my wife. And I, at first I thought maybe that's what Jesus was doing here. But I think his discourse with those guys, I think it was probably more understanding than I would have been. When he said, you've seen me, you know me, and because of that, you know the Father. You've seen the Father through me. I and the Father are one, guys. Try to understand this. I, you know, I, I, that's kind of the voice I'm thinking. But, you know, that and five bucks will get you a cup of coffee at Starbucks. So, um, Jesus is trying to communicate to his disciples that he and the Father are one. You know and have seen the Father through me, it says in John fourteen seven. I am in the Father and the Father is in me, John fourteen eleven. Book of Colossians, the first chapter, the 15th through the 23rd verse, one of my, again, another one of my favorite verses. It says, Paul writes, Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. 
He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I kind of wonder if Paul wasn't teaching Jesus' words there, because that follows that same outline. That's who Jesus is. He is the image of God. What can we get out of that? Well, this. For, Je- for us, these words of Jesus offer us hope. There is a way to the Creator God, and it's through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the truth. Jesus is the life and the resurrection and our eternity. We have hope. 1 Peter 3.15 says we should always be ready to share that hope. Jesus offers us, secondly, confirmation. He said, I am the truth. And he confirms that through creation. The fact that he has been and always will be. And finally, Jesus offers us hope. He offers us confirmation of the eternal life that we have hope for by demanding a decision. But he does it with a promise. Jesus, in his discourse with his disciples, said, You have seen me, you have seen the Father. I am. I am the only way. I am all of truth. I am everything about life. That's who our Savior is. Isn't that incredible? We get to participate in His way, in His truth, in His life. If you don't know Jesus, then now is the time. Jesus' words began as words of comfort, but comfort with a point. And the point is, Jesus is God. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the truth. And Jesus is life. Like the disciples, for us, this is a point of confrontation. We are confronted with who Jesus is. And like the disciples, we are challenged with the fact that this confrontation with the true, overwhelming identity of Jesus demands a response from us. You don't get off the hook with this message this morning. If you're not a Christian, the invitation will be the time for you to respond to the call of the cross. If you are a Christian... Submit to the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and Master and to His Father because they are one. It demands a response that is recognition and a realignment of our lives, our wills, our present, and our future. A response that motivates us, eh, maybe compel us. 
to take this revelation and share it with those all around us. You knew that was coming, didn't you? A missionary speaking, go into all the world. That's what Jesus has told us to do. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then you kind of compress that down to the day of the Great Commission. And he said, all authority has been given to me, so I'm telling you, go and make disciples. Wow. Okay. You know, he, he started that whole statement out that way. I've been given authority. Therefore, you tell somebody. You know, sometimes we get, we get wrapped up in, okay, we got to follow the orders, the marching orders. But there has never been a time in my life when I look out at people like ants going here and there to and fro, busy about everything under the sun, and they don't know Jesus Christ. And without Jesus, because he is the way, they're going to hell. We don't like to think about that these days. We don't like to talk about that. But that's where they're going. All those people out there that don't know Jesus, that's where they're going. And we know him. We know his truth. We know that he is life. We need to share that. We need to share the hope that God has given us. Well, I guess I would ask that this confrontation change your heart, change your life, change your walk through life. And uh, now's the time. Come to Jesus now. If you're not a disciple of Christ, come to him. If you're a Christian, respond to him as Lord. Submit to him and to his will for your life, your future, your eternity. Now is the time.